morning, church. Good to be with you guys this morning. Uh, I'd like to welcome everybody who's here physically with us here in the sanctuary, but then also again say a, uh, once again a welcome to all of those who are joining us uh, on our live stream today. Um, so whether you're a church member who uh, is just worshiping with us at home or whether you might be a guest um, who just kind of found us on Facebook Live this morning, we say welcome and we're glad that you're joining us together uh, this morning. And so in case you don't know who I am, I am not the pastor. Uh, I, my name is Jeff Kelly. I'm the lead associate pastor here at the church. And uh, I'm uh, excited and honored to have this time this morning um, to kind of dive into God's word with you together. So um, I knew about three or four weeks ago that I was going to be pinch hitting for Lyle this morning uh, during this spring break week. What I did not know was all the other things. Uh, that we're going to be going on um, in our culture and in our world today. And so um, it's been an interesting, uh, it was a great three weeks of prep, uh, preparing for this sermon, but it's been an interesting two to three days as I've kind of gone back and re-examined with the message that God has given me and, and trying to speak to kind of where we find ourselves today. And um, what I know is that, uh, as Lyle mentioned uh, already this morning, that we are here together this morning um, with prayerful hearts. We are um, praying for those who are being uh, currently affected uh, by the coronavirus, those who've lost life, those who are um, dealing with job inconveniences. We remember those this morning who are working in the medical fields uh, around the clock to help take care of the people across this country. We remember the people working at Kroger and Publix who are trying to stock groceries uh, all day long because we're going in in a panic and buying all the peanut. I, I'm a peanut butter guy. I bought every peanut butter I could get my hands on yesterday. Toilet paper, whatever. Peanut butter, got to have it. Um, but we, we just, we're, we're prayerful. And we are remembering those folks who are being affected by this. Um, and this message that we're going to talk about this morning, I kind of went back and forth of like, okay, do we, do we still talk about Solomon? Do I need to switch what we're talking about? And uh, the Lord just kind of gave me a piece this, that we're, we're going to kind of unplug from Corona for just a few minutes this morning, if that's okay with you. And we're going to plug into uh, continuing to walk through the life of Solomon. And what I, what I know and trust is that we're going to see some good parallels between the message today and what we're facing. Okay, Here's the thing that I do know is that um, we're going to begin to look today at the life of Solomon. We're going to begin to look at kind of where Solomon's life plateaued and kind of began to go off the rails a little bit. And what happened, and what a major component that led to that, was that Solomon began to trust his own wisdom and his own ways. And what I'm reminded of in, in this current culture and society that we're living in right now, today, our hope is not in any man's wisdom as we battle this. Our hope is first and foremost in God. Amen? He is sovereign uh, he has everything that is going on under his control. And as God's people, we're called to just simply believe and trust and pray through this situation. So if you will, we're going to pray together this morning, and then we're going to dive into uh, continuing through our walk through the life of Solomon. So will you pray with me this morning? Father, we are again blessed and thankful to be able to worship you through uh, the gathering together here in this auditorium. But Lord, we're also thankful for the opportunity that we have to worship through technology that you've given us. And so, Lord, I pray for each individual who's in this room. I pray for those who are joining us from their homes uh, or from vacation spots this morning. Lord, we just pray 
uh, that we uh, would be sensitive to the word you have for us this morning. That we would look at the life of Solomon together this morning and we would see some important truths that we need to be reminded of in this place. Lord, we do pray for those who are this morning um, battling illness, battling sickness. We pray for those who are still recovering from the storms that hit our area in the last couple of weeks. Lord, we pray for those who are just dealing with anxiety and, and panic because of the, the current events around our world in the last several weeks. Lord, we pray that you would give us a spirit of peace in this place this morning, that you would give them a spirit of peace, God, because we know that you are sovereignly working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And so, Lord, we trust you, and uh, we're here to worship you and glorify your name. And it's in your name we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 9 today. Um, and uh, I don't want to spoil it for you, but the name of the series kind of gives it away. We're, it's called The Rise and Fall of the King, okay? And so we've been talking about the life of King Solomon. And so for the last two weeks, I'm not going to kind of rehash all this history for you. Um, if you're interested in that, you can go check out our website and our Vimeo page and watch uh, Pastor Lyle's sermons the last two weeks. Um, but just kind of to give you an update, the last two weeks we've kind of focused on the rise of King Solomon. Uh, Solomon was the son of David. Um, he was uh, appointed by God to be the king over Israel. And God appeared to Solomon and said, Solomon, hey, uh, I'm going to give you an opportunity to ask for one thing and I will grant it. What do you choose? And so Solomon asked for discernment and the ability to rule wisely. And God was pleased with that and, and granted that. And he also gave Solomon favor in other areas. But we looked at the last two weeks as kind of the rise of King Solomon's reign. The, the beginning of King Solomon's reign started out really, really well. He ruled wisely. Uh, the people in his nation were amazed at how he was ruling. The nations around them were amazed at how he was uh, ruling and kind of leading the nation of Israel. Israel was flourishing at this time. Things were good. Um, Solomon even uh, knocked out a huge accomplishment that his father David had wanted to do, but God said, no, this is not for you to do. It's for Solomon. Solomon built this amazing uh, temple to God. He built this amazing, beautiful, just extravagant temple that was dedicated to the Lord. Massive accomplishment, right? And that's kind of where we've been. We've kind of looked at how Solomon ruled wisely, knocked out the temple, and things were going well in Israel for what felt like the first time in a long time. They were just doing a really, really good job, right? And so this morning, kind of where we are, we've reached the pinnacle of Solomon's rule. We've reached the high point. And today what we begin to see is we begin to see kind of how the wheels began to rattle for King Solomon and how they began to kind of slide off, Okay. So if you will, we're going to pick up in 1 Kings chapter 9, and uh, we're going to read about the first nine verses together. This is going to be our main text. We're going to kind of hang out here for most of the morning, and we'll kind of bounce around a couple other spots. Uh, but you can kind of put your, your uh, Bible marker there, uh, and this is where we'll spend some time at. Okay, so starting in 1 Kings 9 verse 1, it says, When Solomon finished building the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all that Solomon desired to do, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, just as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. Okay? Now, a lot of times when we read Scripture, when chapter 8 ends and chapter 9 starts, we kind of think that chapter 8 ended on Monday and chapter 9 starts on Tuesday morning. We just kind of think chronologically. Like, that's not always the case when we read Scripture. 
Okay, and so where we end chapter 8, where, God, where Solomon has dedicated and prayed and just blessed the temple and asked God to fill it and dwell it, most biblical scholars believe that when we start chapter 9, we're about 13 years after the temple dedication. Okay? So when chapter 8 ends and chapter 9 starts, this is not like, hey, we dedicated the temple yesterday, we woke up, and here's chapter 9. Okay? We're about 13 years after that. And it says that the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time, just as he appeared at Gibeon. Does anybody remember how the Lord appeared to God at Gibeon? Anybody? Dream, right? It was a vision, right? Uh, we kind of know that. There's a parallel passage that kind of goes along with this, Second Chronicles 7, where in that passage it says, and the Lord appeared to Solomon in the evening time. Okay, so this is this dialogue that we're getting ready to look at would have happened most likely in a vision, in a dream, where God would kind of have imparted this vision to Solomon, okay? So this is what he says, verse 3 of chapter 9. The Lord said to him, I have heard your prayers and petition that you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple that you've built to put my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there at all times. Verse 4. As for you, we kind of switch gears right there, right? Verse 3, the Lord says, hey, Solomon, the temple that you built, I see it. It's great. I receive your prayer. I receive your dedication to me. It's kind of like the Lord gives his stamp of approval two thumbs up there in chapter 3. Solomon, the temple's great. I accept it. Awesome. But in verse 4, he says, hey, Solomon, the temple's great, but let's talk about you for a second. Okay? Temple, awesome, but let's talk about you. Verse 4. As for you, if you walk before me, As your father David walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing everything that I've commanded you, and if you keep my statutes and ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised your father David. You will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. So as we kind of walk through together, the first point that I think we need to kind of nail down and kind of... uh, let state or kind of like let stand as our foundation is is one that hopefully is going to sound familiar to you because as i was preparing this message for the last three weeks i continuously asked god hey god give me a fresh word give me a new word give me something fresh to say to our people give me something they haven't heard before give me a way to engage them and over and over and over again over these last three weeks i felt god say jeff i'm not necessarily giving you a fresh word i'm giving you a refresh I'm giving you a, a kind of a refresh, a reminder. You know what a refresh is, right? When I hear the word refresh, I think of my computer, right? I think of the, the web page that I am trying to load is not doing it quickly enough, right? And never mind the fact that the computer pages load now so much faster than they did. I remember my DSL dial-up days, how like you would literally wait 10 minutes for a web page to download. You're like, yes, right? Now, if it takes a web page longer than five seconds to load, we're like, what is going on? Like, who is not doing their job today, right? When we think of a refresh, we think of, hey, I'm at the right page. I'm where I want to be. Just something in here is not working, right? Something in here has kind of gotten caught up. It's different than a reboot, right? A reboot is this whole thing is broke, right? When stuff at your house doesn't work, how do you fix it? I can tell you the only way I know how to fix stuff at my house. If it does not work, I unplug it 
or turn it off and plug it back in. And if it works, then I'm a genius, right? If it does not work, then I know I need to call someone else because my technical knowledge has been maxed out at that point, right? And so a reboot is when, hey, we've got to, we're, this is not working right. We've got to restart the whole thing. A refresh is simply where, hey, you're at the right page. You're, you're where you want to be. Just something's gotten off kilter in here, and we need to kind of refresh that, right? And that's kind of what I felt God saying to me as I prepped this message. Like, look, we're, we're on, you're on the right page. You're in the right place. You're talking about me. You're looking at me. You're, you're talking about my word and my will. But a lot of times in our Christian life, things kind of get out of whack. They get out of alignment, and God kind of wants us to hit the refresh button, right? And so if you paid attention to Pastor Lyle's sermon last week, some of these points we're talking about this morning are going to be a refresh from just last week's sermon, okay? Because uh, I think sometimes what that means is when the Lord lays a point and kind of lays something on somebody's heart one week and then brings it back up to the heart of somebody completely different the next week, you know what that usually tells me? Pay attention, right? Listen. This is, this is something that's prevalent and relevant for us today. And so here's kind of the first thing I want us to work from today. And this is not going to be groundbreaking to you. If you've been at church at all, you've heard this point a hundred times. But it's a, crucial for us to remember as we start this morning. And it's, it's this, is that God always is faithful to keep his promises. God is always faithful to keep his promises, right? He says here, as for you, Solomon, if you walk before me as your father David walked with integrity of heart, uprightness, doing everything I've commanded you, if you keep my statutes and ordinances, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel as I promised your father David. He comes in as reminding Solomon, hey, Solomon, let's talk about you for a minute. If you do what you've been commanded to do, if you do what you've been called to do, then I will honor the promises that I made to your father David. And here's the thing. Solomon knew this to be true about God. Solomon already knew that God was always faithful to keep his promises. If you look at the back of, at the end of chapter 8 right there, this is what Solomon kind of concluded when he was concluding that prayer of dedication to the temple of God and, and, and asking God to indwell in it. This is what Solomon says at the end of chapter 8, starting in verse 54. It says, When Solomon finished praying this entire prayer and petition to the Lord, he got up from kneeling before the altar of the Lord with his hands spread out toward heaven, and he stood and he blessed the whole congregation of Israel with a loud voice. And this is what he said, May the Lord be praised. He has given rest to his people Israel according to all that he has said. Not one of all the good promises that he has made through his servant Moses has failed. Solomon was fully aware that his God was always faithful to keep his promises, so much so that he declared it in front of the entire Israelite nation. He said, let us not forget, God has never failed to follow through with one of his promises. Solomon was well aware of this. The people of Israel were well aware of this, right? God had promised to bring them out of bondage in Egypt. Did he do that? Of course he did. He promised to provide sustenance for them in the wilderness. Did he do that? 
Of course he did. He promised to take them into a land, a land that was rich in resources, a land that had, they were going to live in houses that they didn't build and, and profit off of things they didn't do. Did he do that? Of course he did. Solomon and the Israelite people knew full well. They had experienced 100% that God is always faithful to keep his promises. I experienced this just a little bit with my son Lincoln, who's four, right? Anytime we go somewhere like the store or the mall or anywhere, as soon as Lincoln crawls out of his car seat and that truck door shuts, Lincoln's hand will instinctively just shoot up, right? Why does he do that? Because Lincoln knows that as soon as that car door shuts and he's in the parking lot, he's in a danger zone, right? He knows that cars are whizzing through, people are backing out. Um, If you're parking in the Kroger parking lot, then you know people are driving through there looking, finishing up their click list, not paying attention. They're not looking for a four-year-old walking across the parking lot. He knows that, hey, when I'm in a dangerous place, the best thing for me to do Shoot my hand up, because as soon as his hand touches daddy's hand, in his mind, game over. He's one million percent safe, right? He knows I'm going to get him safely from point A to point B. He knows that I will make, sometimes I'll make it a fun walk. We'll jump and swing and all that good stuff. But he also knows that if I need to, instead of holding that hand, I will reach down and snatch him up and carry him wherever he needs to go, right? He fully trusts me. You know why? Because every time he has trusted me to get him from point A to point B, guess what I've done? I've gotten him from point A to point B. It's never failed. That is the God that the people of Solomon and the nation of Israel had experienced. It's a God that we experience. He has never failed. There's a reason why I asked Anne-Marie and our worship team to lead that song, Waymaker, this morning. That's new for us, but I, I love it. Because it just says our God is a way maker, a miracle worker, a promise keeper, a light in the darkness. My God, that is who you are. God does not break his promises. And why does that matter? Because here's the thing I want you to think about. Just think about how much power there is in just one broken promise. Just think about how much power is contained in just one broken promise. One broken promise between a husband and a wife in a marriage relationship can lead to the complete derailment and completely change the trajectory of their marriage and their family. Think about one broken promise between a a parent and a child and how that can leave lasting scars and and damage. A broken promise between a coach and and a student athlete a broken promise between an employer and an employee. There's power in a broken promise because every time a promise is broken, the trust relationship is damaged, right? Every time a promise is broken, a trust relationship is damaged. I'm not saying it's killed, but it's damaged. The Israelite people, Solomon, had never experienced that with God. He'd never broken a promise. He has still never broken a promise. Everything that he says, he is faithful to fulfill. Everything. And here he is in this moment talking to Solomon. And he says, Solomon, 
Let's talk about you for a second. The temple's great, but let's talk about you for a second. If you live the way that you're called to live and you do what you're called to do, then I will be faithful and honor my promises. And I will bless your rule and your reign. He lays it out there completely, again, reaffirming for Solomon. If you trust me and you live for me, my promises are true. They are faithful, right? God is faithful, church. In a moment like this, where there's so much chaos in our society, the question for us as believers, do we trust him? Do we truly trust that God is always keeping his promises? Or is all it takes is one drastic circumstance that happens around us to have our faith completely shaken? There are, there are millions of people across this globe right now who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ who are in a state of fear and a state of panic. And that's understandable. Because some of the things we're hearing out in the media are scary. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, fear should not be part of our equation. Right? Because, and I'm not saying, hey, we just need to, everybody, let's all come sit on the same five rows and just hug each other and not pay attention to medical advice. I'm not telling us, let's, let's not be stupid. Okay? That's not what I'm saying. But fear should not be part of the equation for us. Because we know that we have a God who always honors his promises. Right? It reminds me of what um, Paul said to the church in Philippians at the end of uh, Philippians. This is not on the screen, guys, but um, Philippians 4, when Paul says this in verses 7 through 9. or starting, I'm sorry, uh, Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone that the Lord is near. Verse 6, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Right? Our God always is faithful to complete his promises. When we find ourselves in a place of uncertainty, our task is not to fear and try to figure out how we're going to fix it. Our job is to trust God and to pray about it. Go to him. And that's what he's reminding Solomon here. He says, look, if you stay committed to what you're already called to do, then I'm going to honor my promises. Right? And that kind of leads us to our second point I want us to look at this morning is this, that we kind of see here in the same spots too. And that's that God commands us to obey, which keeps us in alignment with his blessing. Here's what I believe about God. I believe that God wants to richly bless his people. I really do. I believe that God richly wants to bless his people. I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I don't mean that I say that God wants us all to be rich because that's not biblical. What I believe is that God richly wants to bless us. The biggest blessing does not come through any material possession we have. It doesn't come through wealth. It doesn't come through relationship with anybody else. It doesn't come through status, popularity, anything. The biggest blessing, the richest blessing we receive on this earth is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's how I believe God wants to richly bless us, right? And so he gives us commands. He gives us, uh, what I've always kind of spoken to this is he gives us guardrails, right? He gives us guardrails to say, you need to keep your life between these guardrails. And if you do, then that keeps you on the road to blessing, right? Now, you guys know, um, 
there are enough bad drivers in the state of Tennessee, okay, who have a hard enough time keeping it in the guardrails, in their lane in the guardrails, right? But do you know what generally happens if your car goes past the guardrail? Yeah, it usually means your life has crashed. Something has knocked you off of the road. You are, that is not where you want your car to be is on the other side of the guardrail, right? Same thing for our lives. We don't want our lives to be on the other side of God's guardrail. And God steps in in this moment, and he says again, verse 4, If you will walk before me as your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness. That idea of integrity of heart simply speaks to right motives. He basically says, if you will live your life with the right motives, which lead to the right actions, then you're going to keep your life on that road to blessing, to receiving good things because you are in the will of God. Now, we know this. We, we know from the New Testament teaches us faith and works, they go together, right? Faith without action is, is dead, right? So it doesn't do you any good to say, hey, I've got all the right motives in the world, but you never step out and do anything. And at the same time, on the reverse, it doesn't matter if you do all the greatest works of, of you know, humanity on the planet and you've got a sour heart about it the whole time. He's challenging Solomon here. He says, you need to walk with the integrity of heart which means you have the right morals, you have the right reasonings for what you're doing, and uprightness, which means doing it. He says, if you will live the Christian life like you have been, it has been shown and taught to you. Now, did Solomon have this, same copy of the word that we have now? No, he didn't. But did he have the law that God had given him? Yes, he did. And the, the kind of the main point of that law was what we call the Shema in Deuteronomy, which is simply what? Love the Lord your God. All your heart, soul, mind, strength. If, even if Solomon didn't know anything, he knew that. But we know he knew a lot more than that. See, God gives us commands to keep our lives in that guardrail. And that's what I think this morning. So many times I hear uh, in, in my 20 plus years of student ministry, I would hear students say to me, Jeff, I just wish that God would speak a fresh word to me. I guess I wish God would speak to me. I wish God would give me a clear word. And my question to them was always, okay, well, tell me about your prayer life. Does it exist? Like, do you have one? If you do, is it consistent? Is it rich? Or are you just kind of like using God as the emergency 911 line? But, hey, God, I have a test today. I totally forgot to study for it. Give me an A. Right? Hey, God, I have not maintained my car at all. Make it run perfectly. Right? We kind of go to God, and, and, and those are the type of prayers we pray, and then we wonder, well, I wish God would just give me a fresh word. I'm like, You're, you've unplugged yourself from the biggest power source that he's given us, an intimate daily relationship with him. God may be trying to speak to you all day, every day, and you're not plugging in. And I would tell students, hey, you want to hear a fresh word from God? You want to hear a fresh word? How, how does, how's your Bible study plan going? Are you in the Word every day? Are you reading it and soaking it in and kind of meditating on it? Or are you blowing through those two chapters so you can check off that box of your yearly reading plan? Hey, knocked out those two chapters of Leviticus today. You know? Are you soaking it in and letting it come in? Because that's what I felt today, church, of going into this, was a lot of us in the Christian world, we don't need 
a fresh word from the Lord. We just need to refresh ourselves on the word of the Lord. A lot of the questions and concerns we have are already here. They're already here. The question is, are we familiar with them? Do we know them? Are we meditating on them? Are we storing them away in our heart? It made me flash back this week to my freshman year at Southwell High School in Knoxville. The first year I ever played football. I never played football in middle school because mama didn't want me getting hit. Um, so she didn't let me play football. And then go to my freshman year, and basically, long story short, they, they weren't going to have a freshman team unless some more guys came out to play because they didn't have enough guys to fill out the team. And so my mom said, okay, well, you can go play. So I walked into the coach's office, and he said, okay, what position do you play? I was like, I have no clue. I've never played before. He's like, okay, well, what can you do? And I was like, well, I'm a basketball player, um, so I can jump. And he's like, can you catch? And I was like, well, I can catch a basketball, so I hope I can catch a football too. Um, so he's like, okay, well, we've got a lot of other positions. We need wide receivers. Okay, you're tall. At that point in time, I was this same height and a lot skinnier. Um, and so he was like, we need wide receivers. I was like, okay. Great. And so as I walked out of the coach's office, he handed me a notebook and said, hey, here's your, here's your plays. Go and start learning these. And that was a shock to me because in basketball, I learned my motion offense and we just ran it continuously. I learned a couple set plays here and there. When I walked out of the football coach's office, I had a notebook that had about 35 to 40 different plays, set plays that I had to memorize. And I had to memorize three different receiver positions because I could be the wide out, I could be at the slot, I could be the split. So I had to learn three different spots, okay? And I'm going to tell you, the first two weeks of football practice for me were miserable because I had no clue what I was doing. I'd be, the, I'd be in, in the slot, and I was supposed to crack down and, and block the defensive end on the sweep. And every time we'd run the play, coach would blow the whistle, no, nope, Kelly, you just cost us 15 yards clipping. Because I'm going in, instead of blocking the defensive end, like on the front shoulder of his shoulder pad, I'm just blocking him straight in the back, like, get down, get out of the way. Uh, you can't do that. Like, well, it seems like a much better tactic, um, but they wouldn't allow it, right? Or I'd be running pass routes and like, no, Kelly, you're supposed to run a seven-yard slant, not a five-yard out right there. And so for the first two weeks of football practice, it was miserable. I ran a lot of hills because I was struggling just trying to learn, right? But I'm going to tell you what I did every single night. Every single night I went home with that folder and I worked on memorizing those plays. I made flashcards to learn those plays. And by the first game of our season, I was a starting wide receiver and had a very successful freshman year of football. Why? Because I took my playbook and I learned it and I memorized it and I knew it. So that at any point in time our quarterback called a play, called an audible, I knew exactly what I was supposed to do. And I was able to play that game with so much freedom because I knew what I was supposed to do. Guys, this is our playbook. If we would know this and truly spend time in it, it allows us to live our lives with so much freedom. Because God gives us those guardrails and says, just stay here. You live your life, but stay here. Instead of getting outside those guardrails. And what we know to be true for Solomon's life is what began the downfall for Solomon was Solomon, again, began to take his eyes off of God and began to trust his own wisdom and his own ways. And he stopped functioning within the guardrails that God gave him. He stopped functioning within those commands and the statutes that God gave him. And he started kind of 
doing his own thing. So God always keeps, is faithful to keep his promises to us. And some of those promises he gives us are to lead us to a life of obedience so that we stay within the, the alignment of his blessing. And here's the third thing I want to hit real quick this morning, and that's this, is that God warns us to make us mindful of our choices. God warns us to make us mindful of our choices. Because here's the thing. God is always faithful to keep his promises. Amen? Right. And some of those promises that he gives us are promises that speak of blessing. But some of the promises that God gives us are also promises of discipline. Of when we step outside of his word. Right? And he says that in the last part of our passage today, starting in verse 6. He says, if you or your sons turn away from following me, and if you do not keep my commands and my statutes that I've set before you, and if you go and serve other gods and worship them, then here, verse 7, here's a promise. Then I will cut off Israel from the land that I gave them. And I will reject the temple that I've sanctified for my name. Israel will become an object of scorn and ridicule among all the people. And though the temple is now exalted, every passerby will be appalled and will hiss. And they'll say, why did the Lord do this to the land and this temple? And then they'll say, because the people, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their ancestors out of the land of Egypt. They clung to other gods and worshipped and served them. And because of this, the Lord brought all this ruin on them. God appears to Solomon and says, hey, the temple is great, fantastic. But right now, we need to talk about you. And what most biblical scholars believe is that for the Lord to have appeared to Solomon right now and to give him this warning, was it, it tells us that Solomon had already started slipping. That during that 13-year period from the dedication of the temple to where we are now, Solomon had already began slipping away from the Lord. He had already began to trust himself and his own ways. And so God steps in with a warning and he says, hey, Solomon, if you do this, if you take this path, this is a path to blessing. If you choose to go this route, this is a path to discipline. And it's ultimately, ultimately a path to your destruction. And God steps in and warns him. In, in that part of good parenting, it's what I've been told, right, by all the doctors and articles you read. If, if you don't, if your kid is, is, has a, a habit that is not pleasant or one that you want them to have, if you don't ever try to teach them to change it and give them warnings, then your kid is just going to live in straight fear of you. If you say, if, there's, if they're exhibiting a behavior that's not healthy and you just grab them up and whip them and, and not tell them why or they didn't know what was coming then they're going to live in complete fear of you. As a parent, part of our job is to warn them. I warn my son all the time, hey son, do not jump off the couch without building your little pillow landing pad down there or you're going to hurt yourself. You know how many times he had to do that before he figured out daddy was wise? One time. He lands and stubs that toe and he's just crying, owie, owie, owie. And I was like, yeah, bro, we warned you. Put the pillow fort down. Then it doesn't hurt. God steps in to warn Solomon in this moment. and says, Solomon, 
If you go this route, it's blessing. If you go this route, it's destruction. And notice the things that God warned Solomon about. They were things that Solomon was already aware of. They were things he already knew. Deuteronomy 17, I want to kind of give you a couple of examples here. If you look back in Deuteronomy 17, you can if you want to. I'm just going to kind of go over this really quickly. In Deuteronomy 17, there's a passage starting in verse 14 that kind of give some of those statutes and ordinances that were expected of the king of Israel. Right? In Deuteronomy chapter 17, starting in verse 14, it says this. It says, when you enter the land that the Lord your God gives you, uh, taking possession of it, live in it and say, we want to appoint a king over us like all the nations around us. You're to appoint over you the king that the Lord your God chooses, which was Solomon. Appoint a king from your brothers. You're not to set a foreigner over you or one who is not of your people. Verse 16. However, he must not acquire many horses for himself or send the people back to Egypt to acquire many horses. For the Lord has told you, you are never to go back that way again. Okay? That seems like a pretty straightforward command. Right? Hey, as a king, do not acquire a bunch of horses for yourself. And if you do, don't. But even if you go get get, get some horses, guess where you don't need to bring them from? Egypt. Right? I feel like that's pretty clear. Okay? You go over to 1 Kings. Chapter 10, verse 26. Solomon accumulated 1,400 chariots and 1,200 horsemen and stationed them in the chariot cities and with the king in Jerusalem. Verse 28, Solomon's horses were imported from, guess where? Egypt. Right? What are we doing, Solomon? Verse 17 of Deuteronomy. Not only don't go get all the horses, verse 17, he must not acquire many wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 3. He had 700 wives. Just, yeah, let it soak. Just soak in it for a minute. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. And guess what they did? They turned his heart away from the Lord. Go back to Deuteronomy 17. Why, why does he say in Deuteronomy 17, 17, don't get all those wives? Don't get all those wives for himself so that his heart won't go astray. And what happens as soon as Solomon completely bucks that order and goes and does what he wants to? He gets a bunch of wives and they turn his heart away from the Lord. Deuteronomy 17, 17, the last part of that. He must not acquire very large amounts of silver and gold for himself. 1 Kings 10, verse 14. The weight of gold that came to Solomon annually was 25 tons. Besides what came from merchants, traders, merchandise, and all the Arabian kings and governors of the land. These were not new commands that Solomon was trying to figure out. These were the commands that had been laid out for the king of Israel. Don't do these things. And we find ourselves here in 1 Kings with Solomon, and guess what he's doing? He's doing whatever he wants. He has taken the wisdom and the counsel of the Lord... The source of his great supernatural wisdom, mind you, the source of his wisdom, he is now taking what God has given him, the the statutes, the ordinance appointed for him, and he has just said, nah, forget that, I'm going to do what I want. Because in his mind, the reason why he married so many of those women, why did he do that? 
Well, a lot of those were political affiliations. He was creating this political network to better enhance the nation of Israel. The other part of it was just he had a lust for women. Neither one of those are strong reasons to do what he did. Solomon began to trust his own wisdom in his own ways over and over and over and over again. And I don't want to spoil next week for you because Lyle's going to talk a little bit more in depth about kind of some of the next steps that really kind of took Solomon down a path that led to his overall destruction. But here's kind of the spoiler alert of kind of what happens. Solomon doesn't right the ship. He doesn't turn things around. And because of Solomon, the nation of Israel falls apart. And it splits into two different nations. And the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. And and most of the kings that come after that are terrible kings. They're not good. And the people continue in this life of rebellion. All because we flash back to Solomon's rule. Solomon, the things that Solomon allowed to be entertained and be brought into the kingdom led to its demise. And so God institutes the position of a prophet. He brings these people in who are his, his mouthpieces, the ones who deliver his message. And one said prophet was the prophet Jeremiah. And this is what Jeremiah says in chapter 11, verses 6 through 8. The Lord said to me, proclaim all these words in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. Obey the words of this covenant and carry them out. Verse 7, listen to this. For I strongly warned your ancestors when I brought them out of the land of Egypt until today, warning them time and time again, obey my voice. Yet they would not obey or pay attention. Each one followed the stubbornness of his evil heart. God throughout history has stepped in to warn his people when they are on the verge of making poor decisions. Does he still do that for us today? Of course he does, right? God warns us through his word. He warns us through prayer. He warns us through um, the godly counsel of those around us. He warns us through the conviction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. He warns us through circumstances. God is constantly trying to warn his people in his church This is the path to blessing. Get off the path to destruction. But so many times we are just like, I am just like Solomon and the Israelite people. And I hear him warn me over and over and over and over again. Obey my voice. Obey my voice. Obey my voice. And I just simply say, no, I'll figure it out. No, God, I think I've got this one. I got a plan. Do you know how preposterous that has to sound to God when we literally say, no, God, I've got a plan? I bet sometimes he wonders, like, how did I create you to be this dumb, right? I feel like that's what he says sometimes when he looks at me, like, God should have given you some more intelligence. No, God, I'll figure it out. I got a plan. And God is like, your plan is going to absolutely have the opportunity to wreck your life. And even if it doesn't wreck your life, here's the thing that we see from Solomon's life. Solomon's choices didn't just affect him. They brought down the entire nation of Israel. Your choices don't just affect you. My choices don't just affect me. 
our choices have ripple effect, don't they? They ripple out. Our family, our friends, those around us. God loves us too much to just say, hey, here you go. Here's your life. Go figure it out on your own and go silent. That's not who he is. He is a God who constantly tries to warn his people. Hey, guys, obey my voice. Listen to me. Follow my life. Follow my plan. Follow my ways. And unfortunately, what we see in the life of Solomon is he chose not to. He chose to trust himself. But can I be honest with you this morning, church? There's a lot of times, there's been a lot of seasons in my life when I have to step back and think, you know what? I did the same thing. There's been a lot of days, a lot of seasons, a lot of choices I had to make where I chose what I thought was wise. And I don't know how many blessings I've missed out upon because I do believe that. And I don't, I don't think that means that God is not benevolent and is not kind and not fair, but I, I believe that when we choose our own path, there are blessings from God that we miss. I don't know about you. Blessings are not something I want to miss. I want to miss Corona. Let that pass on by. I don't want to miss a blessing. I don't want to miss a meal. There's things in our life we don't want to miss. Blessing should be at the top of that list for us. I don't want to miss a blessing from God. Okay, well, how do we, how do we help do that? we got to stay in his guardrails. Stay in alignment with him. How sad is it when you look at the life of Solomon? This was a guy who was gifted with supernatural wisdom. Wisdom given to him by God. What could have happened in the nation of Israel if Solomon had stayed faithful and true to God's commands and God's words? Could have been amazing. But he didn't. And that's what I kind of want to close with this morning is this, is that we're all kind of presented with these same moments where God is stepping into your life and to my life and trying to warn us and trying to get our attention. Some people, you know, if you've been on Facebook at all, they, they've said, hey, I th- you know, this coronavirus is a wake-up call to America. And I'm like, look, I'm not going to get up here and prophetically say that that's what this is, right? I'm not saying that coronavirus is sent by God with a specific purpose to wake everyone. No, I'm not saying that. I have not been given that word or that vision from the Lord. But here's what I do know. In a moment like this, as a believer, I should be reflecting on this situation in light of the gospel anyway. You want to quarantine me at home for the next two weeks. Those next two weeks, I don't need to be spending all that time binge watching Netflix. I need to be taking some of that time that I'm quarantined. I need to be focusing on, okay, where in my life am I out of alignment with the Lord? What is he trying to warn me? What is he trying to wake me up to? What is he trying to bring me back into? I do believe that there is a purpose for what's going on in this world right now. Now, I do believe for us as as Christians, it is a little bit of a wake-up call for us to think about, okay, what am I doing with my life? I'm wearing a shirt that says famous enough, and and, and some of you may be like, what is he wearing? This, this is a, a designer, it's a guy out of Houston, Texas, that has taken 
his giftings and kind of what God has given him a passion for. And he says, look, I want to take anything I have, anything I can get my hands on, and I want to use it to glorify the name of God. So he makes these shirts and these things that, that kind of are conversation starters that allow you to enter engage conversation with people about his faith and about Jesus. He's like, listen, you walk around with a shirt that's famous enough, somebody, somebody's going to stop you at some point and be like, what does that mean? And boom, doorway's open. And you can say, well, look, it's, my life is not about my fame. My life is about making the name of Jesus known, right? Solomon, you think about Solomon. Solomon had such resources. He had such wisdom and such gifting. What he could have done for the kingdom, but instead he took all of his energy, all of his resources, all of his wisdom, and he focused it on himself. Church, let me ask you, how are you spending your time, your energy, your resources, your talents? Who's the primary benefactor for that? Is it you or is it the kingdom? I, I get it. We all got to work. We all got to hold down jobs. We all got to pay bills and things of that nature. But as God has gifted you, how are you using that for his kingdom? Is your life in alignment with his? Are you keeping yourselves in line for those blessings that he wants to give to us? Or are we kind of choosing to live outside of that on our own? I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. Jeff and Amory are going to come up and sing uh, a couple songs. And, and this is weird for us because we are going to have a time of response, but it's going to be a time where I'm going to ask you not to come forward, right? We're, we're kind of uh, conscientious about this whole thing. I don't believe I'm a carrier of any sickness, but I don't know. And I don't know if any of you are either. So, uh, But here's the thing. Um, we're going to kind of have a reflective time this morning. And there's, I think, multiple ways that we can respond to what God is calling us to do through the life of Solomon, the, the kind of example we've seen today. Some of you may be here this morning, there may be somebody here this morning or somebody online who says, hey, you know what, I, I realize that um, I do believe that God is a God who is faithful to keep all his promises, but I have never committed my life to believing those. I've never committed my life and given my life over to Jesus. Because as we've talked about in this Old Testament, every king that this earth saw failed over and over and over again. And God was faithful to keep that promise to David when Jesus came. Jesus from the line of David came and was the perfect king. He was the perfect one who came and sacrificed his life and gave everything so that we could be redeemed. And so we only have life through the life of Jesus. And maybe you're here this morning or maybe you're at home this morning and you need to make a profession saying, hey, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus for the very first time. Right in front of you in the pews, there's a welcome card. And on the back of that welcome card, there's a space for you to kind of grab a pen. And you can write any decision, anything you need to talk about. Um, and you can, uh, we're going to encourage you to fill those out today and lay those in the pews if you have something there today. Or if you're online, you can get in that comment section or send us a direct message to our First Baptist uh, Facebook account. Um, and we'll, we'll reach back out to you. Maybe this morning you're saying, hey, I need to come and, and I just need to... Get myself realigned with the Lord. Maybe that's through baptism. Maybe there's somebody who's, hey, I've never publicly declared that I am, that I am living my life for Christ. So maybe you'd like to talk to us about baptism. We'd be happy to talk about that um, with you. But 
Here's where I think probably a lot of us are, and that's this, is, is maybe this is an opportunity to take a, a, a real look at our, our lives. Take a, a real look and say, God, are there areas of my life where I'm out of alignment with you? Are there areas of my life where I'm beginning to slip, just like Solomon slipped? Are there areas of my life that I am out of alignment with you? Or maybe some of us just so boldly simply say, look, God, it's not just areas of my life. It is my life. My life is out of alignment. And I need to get myself right back to you. Again, if you want to put that down on, a, on your welcome card, we would be happy to talk to you about ways that um, we can partner with you and, and, and walk that journey with you um, to help you kind of bring yourself back into the center of God's will. That's one of the songs our worship team is getting ready to sing. There's a song called Center. And it simply says, Christ, be the center of my life. Be the place I fix my eyes. Because that's, that's, the, that's the most important thing for each and every single one of us. To keep our eyes on Christ. When we, when we begin to get enamored with things of this world, we begin to slip. When we begin to become focused on things other than God, we begin to slip. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. I'm going to invite you to stand and worship. I'm going to invite you to sit and worship however you need to respond this morning. Again, if you have something you need to talk about or something you'd like for us to be praying for, you can grab that welcome card right there in front of you and fill that out and just leave it on um, your seat here in a few minutes when we dismiss. But let's just respond faithfully as God calls us to this morning. Let's remember he's always faithful and he keeps his promises. And because he loves us so much, he does step in at times and give us warnings. And saying, listen, church, listen, Christian, don't forget, obey my voice, follow me. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity we've had together um, just to look at the life of Solomon. And Lord, to see the lessons that are there to be learned in the moments that that we see him becoming distracted and enamored with other things. Lord, I pray you would help each and every single one of us to have you at the center of our focus. That you would be the vision that we see. You would be the, the, the will that we seek out, Father, in everything that we do. Lord, this message sometimes is heavy when we think about just we know that we slip and we know that we fail and we know that you warn us, but God, I pray that we would just be reminded of your great love. That you warn us because you love us. You give us these guardrails because you love us and you want to bless each of us so richly. So God, I pray this morning we would desire your will and your blessings more than anything else. And so we respond in truth to you this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.